Hi, this is the Yay. Raj Clay and Norman G. Where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Right now, Norman's not here, but I have a very special guest, Ronica Rao. How are you doing, Ronica? I'm doing great, thank you. Oh, let's pull your mic up just a little bit. There you go. Oh, yeah. Perfect. So it's a wonderful uh, weekend where, you know, we're just enjoying the fantastic weather and everything. How's it going? It's going really well. Um, I'm in show right now with the San Francisco Shakespeare Festival, so we're doing Hamlet every weekend. Right. And I live in San Francisco where it's, I think it's in the mid-60s, and then we go to Pleasanton where it's been 100 degrees. Yeah, you've been cooking out there. I've been cooking out there, uh, but it's, I've been spending my weekends with hundreds of people out in the park. It's really great. That, now, that run, you were telling me the run is from, I think you began in, was it? J- early July or was it July first? July first. Yeah, and it's running until October. October first. That's yeah. a hell of a run. That's a hell of a run every weekend and um, every Saturday and Sunday and then some Fridays. Yeah. So because we advertised it um, on the last episode of the EA where you're doing this week and next week in Pleasanton and then you're moving on. Yes, we're um, at the. Amador Valley Park in Pleasanton, and then we're moving to Cupertino, mm-hmm. um, to I believe it's called the Memorial Park. So Cupertino, then Redwood City, then San Francisco. We go to Presidio, mm-hmm. and then we end and close in McLaren Park. Ah, nice. Yeah. Um, so you, so you're originally from India, and uh, you came to the United States specifically to study theater. Is that right? To study theater and education. Yeah. Yeah. At Harvard. At Harvard, I, it was, they don't have a theater and education program, they have an arts and education program, but my dissertation focused on how to use theater in education, specifically with young people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very, it's reminiscent when I, uh, while I was at uh, Duke Ellington School of the Arts and Arts High School, I also did a sort of an internship at uh, Living Stage, where they focused on getting inner city kids to do improvisation to sort of work out their kinks, work out, you know, uh, issues or whatever. And Norman does the same thing with Each One Reach One, where he works with inner city kids, uh, actually kids in the juvenile uh, um, juvenile system, uh, where improvisation can um, enrich children's lives. And you're doing sort of the same thing now, right? Yep, absolutely. Um, I think I, yeah, I teach theater, but all kinds of theater. So any kind of um, experience where... Um, young people either devise a piece of theater, they improvise a scene, take on characters, mm-hmm. or they're doing Shakespeare where there's a story that exists mm-hmm. and they step into that story yeah. or, you know, a contemporary piece um, or they're writing their own plays, but, you know, different kinds of experiences. Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. I have a teacher once tell me that theater is therapeutic, but it is not therapy. And I think what she was saying is you can't work out as a professional actor. You can't work out your own issues on stage. Uh, You're a professional actor, and you have to keep the professionalism. But on the therapeutic side, I mean, as a teacher working with with kids, sometimes issues, whatever emotions they have come out in improvisation. Have you experienced that? Oh, absolutely. I've experienced that as a student myself Mm -hmm. of theater and then as a teacher as well, especially when you're doing improv or improvisational theater, um, who you choose to be in that moment, you have power over that, mm-hmm. um, you know, most often. Sometimes you get endowed with the character, but who you choose to be in that moment comes from your experiences of the day. 
and you know you're taught to use your emotions to create a character. So if I've had a bad crappy day, maybe my you know maybe my character is going to have a tough day. Yeah. Um, you know, and maybe if I've been thinking about you know if I've been thinking about um, you know my friend, maybe I'll do a scene you know about friendship, and it just it it comes into your subconscious as an actor. But even mm-hmm. if you have a character that's been given to you, you always bring your experiences to it. Um, but I've constantly had that experience, and it becomes, it's cathartic and then therapeutic. So first you get to expel a lot of static energy that might have gathered through the day and mm-hmm. sometimes work through those emotions, and then that becomes therapeutic, you know? Yeah. I think two years ago I had, I just had a personally really difficult time, and I did a lot of theater. I didn't plan on doing it, mm-hmm. but I ended up doing a lot of theater, and every time I'd enter a rehearsal process, I'd be kind of low and not that happy and then when mm-hmm. I exited I was always just exhilarated and those yeah. emotions just got worked out yeah now you said two years ago that would have been around the same time you and I both did the skin of our teeth at yes. EMT yes and I was playing yeah, a woolly mammoth and, <laughs> and I think I had one human line as a woolly mammoth but I was pretty much <laughs> running around stage grunting and yeah. that itself was very very cathartic and therapeutic yeah. well, well, that's one I think you also had some other roles in that too, I had right? some other roles but the woolly mammoth was my favorite yeah. it was I feel happy because uh, the stage gets hot it felt like a, um, a unitard thing or whatever it was a woolly costume with, yeah. a, with a wig and like woolen I had to wear a sweater and it was June yeah, that's right. It was like May or June in Hayward, so it was really hot. Mm-hmm. But it's, it had so much fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, getting into the therapeutic um, aspect, I, I know that t- about technique, you know, when I, um, some of the things that I learned uh, at, in college was uh, we had like exercises like sense memory where we would bring in, let's say, some uh, a perfume or something that we smelled that took us to a particular time in our lives, which brought out an emotion. Or let's say we had a toy that we had, let's say, as a child that would bring out an emotion. Some people favor that because it brings you anchored to the scene or the role or whatever you have to do. Others are like, oh, I don't even think that's necessary. You know, just do what's necessary for the script and for the role and for the audience. H- how do you come? Uh, what's... What is your theory about um, how deep to get into a character as to what's just necessary? Um, it depends on the character that I'm playing. Mm-hmm. So if I'm playing a woolly mammoth, then I just kind of have fun with it. And right. I guess I have a general understanding of what a mammoth might be like. But yeah. then it's just a lot of it is imagination because mm-hmm. it's fantastical. But... Um, like right now, you, you're playing uh, like yeah. a grave digger mm-hmm. for Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the director had told you, well, they want you to speak in Hindi. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had talked in another uh, podcast about how um, I think the director had wanted to emphasize how there are lower class workers doing this work. Although it may be Shakespeare, they, you're, the audience is seeing, you know, uh, I guess a lower class worker doing, you know, that, that type of work. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I didn't with that with that particular um, character. I think I actually went to my Indian roots because I was speaking in Indian. Mm-hmm. So I mean, in Hindi, excuse me. Um, I was speaking in Hindi, and so I actually had to channel, you know, what um, you know how just 
Indians talk, and I just brought that into it. And obviously, you want to. I don't even shovel in that. In, I, you know, in that scene, I don't really get to use a spade. The mm-hmm. other grave digger does. Yeah. I'm just talking a lot, sure. so I don't do much. So I didn't have to do that much research. Um, but sometimes, like I did uh, one show um, two years ago, where I was playing a British person, mm-hmm. and um, and so you know, you had to prepare with not only the accent, but the way that. I, had, I asked a lot of my English friends, um, you know, how British people think, because there were things about that text, the way it moved, mm-hmm. also the way they move their hands, one of their physical ways of being on stage. I think sometimes we don't think about the fact that they're that different nationalities or different ethnicities, different cultures move in different ways. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I did that last year. I played, uh, you know, Lady Macbeth in the Scottish play, and mm-hmm. That had to do with there was you know there's a famous scene of hand washing and of mental course. breakdown. Yeah. And damn spot out, I uh, say. Exactly, yeah. And, yeah. and and to prepare for that part, I think I had to go to some dark places. But I don't come from sense memory as much as I've been very inspired by Meisner's okay. um, theory. And um, and Meisner talked a lot about imagination yeah. and bringing yourself to a place where you you have an as if of imagine. So I don't have. A sense memory of a mental breakdown the way ADM might have. Sure. But what is it that I can imagine is the closest mm-hmm. to this experience, you know? And yeah. what what in my environment can I, you know, get? How can I imagine and, and put myself into her shoes? Right. And I use what I have to then, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and it's similar. It's similar to, like, you don't have to kill someone to be a killer or let's right. say have true blood on your hands. Right. Or a memory of when is the last time you had blood on your hands? But very similar to Meisner, where you may have been in a very traumatic situation, let's say, you know, when you were younger, or um, uh, you're having a a, a very serious discussion with your husband, who happens to be Macbeth then, has, um, you know, committed something really, really horrible. You may have been in a relationship where you're having a, a... a very tense argument, and that's something that you can bring into the scene. Yes. So I think in that, those ways, it's, it's a bit similar. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You pull on what you have, and, you know, um, acting is reacting and noticing and observing, and I think my challenge is always to, to be present. If I'm present in my own life, I'll see and absorb so many things, and I'll be present when I'm experiencing it. Mm-hmm. And if I'm present to all of that, then I can use that in in my artistic practice. Right. Are you more comfortable with comedy or 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 um, tra- or, or improv or or the th- or the serious stuff? I get bored easily. So once I've done, like for example, I'm doing Shakespeare right now, uh-huh. and, and I, so I immediately want to do something that's very very different sure. for the next production. So I'd like to do everything, mm-hmm. you know. And so I don't think I'm um, more eager to do either comedy or drama. They both are amazing. Yeah. Um, and they both require. Um, uh, you know, training, and they both require their own experiences. So I just, I want to get better at both, and so yeah. I just keep seeking different experiences. And also, you're doing a little bit of writing too, right? I just started writing a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I've been writing off and on, and I write children's plays, and um, my plays were just performed um, on a radio um, oh, show nice. in the South Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm starting to write, um, you know, pieces. For adults as well. Okay. Um, you know, I haven't shared it much, but hopefully it'll be, you know, I will be soon. Yeah. I've had a couple of uh, playwrights uh, here. We've done interviews with uh, Ginny Baroga and also Conrad Pangonagon. 
and Scott Munson and a bunch of others, and we've talked about how sometimes their writing can be uh, autobiographical. I'm not sure if, there, if there's any type of writing that is not autobiographical because you're always you're always coming from your own place, or you can only write about what you know. Um, I know you're just beginning, but is that the same with you? Are you writing, is it sort of autobiographical? It is, and I'm writing in sports because I have such a physically intense life with acting and teaching mm-hmm. um, that I don't have the time to sometimes just sit down and write. And I often write in sports and something happened in a day. Yeah. Um, and then I just, it would just come out in one night, and it would just come out in like, yeah. today I was on the BART, and there was this young man who came on, and he just did this, he in theatrical terms, monologued uh-huh. for a long time about how he was looking for a job, and um, and uh-huh. he was, and he, and you know, and and that he was, that he, it was ashamed that at the age of 28, mm-hmm. he still was um, not independent financially. It broke my heart. But then he said something at the end. He said, you know, um, I don't don't worry if you don't have money or you don't want to give it to me, but I don't want to be invisible. I want you to know that I wow. exist. Wow. And it was just this very profound monologue that went on, and I ended up giving money, and he asked for, like, food or, like, drinks, and people yeah. gave him. It really moved me because he was saying, don't ignore that I exist. Wow. I think immediately Ralph Ellison's The Invisible Man. Yes. Which was written, I think, believe in the 50s. Yeah. And uh, I had actually thought to myself, well, that doesn't really apply now because the black man has risen so much. You know, you have LeBron James and Barack Obama or whatever. But I guess the new invisible man, especially with gentrification, is the poor person. And, you know, that yeah. that cr- cr- cuts across all race and, and cultures. Yeah, and he was young, black, and poor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and poor in that moment. And he seemed to have so much dignity and awareness. And he, mm-hmm. it was something that I felt like I need to write this and I don't know which perspective it's going to come out of you know sure. but but I was also interested in like the many people sitting in the bar and who does what you know yeah. Do you and I wonder how many people paid attention to him or ignored him or, or what yeah. have you that, that is really really interesting I would say a lot of us are moved by him and then yeah. you know and then started after he left mm-hmm. our car and went to the others like we all talked to each other in mm-hmm. ways that we hadn't talked to before interesting he moved us yeah it's fascinating. I mean, when I did this podcast, I said to myself, I have no idea who's going to listen to this, but sometimes you just need to push stuff, out, put stuff out in the universe, and the universe will respond, just like that guy on the bar. Yeah. He has no idea how many people uh, he touched or what have you. Yeah, he really did. Yeah. Do you write a, uh, a journal or a diary? Because I do. I don't. I never have, and I wish I would, and I've tried and I've stopped and I've started. I, I don't have the discipline. I really should. I... Um, I meditate twice a day. I chant twice a day. I'm a practicing Buddhist, and I—that's a dialogue I have with myself morning and evening. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is that is my journaling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I take stock of my day and I write my goals and I write impressions. And yeah. um, but I haven't journaled, and and I know, you know, I know it would be useful, but I haven't. Yeah, it's. I mean, uh, the only reason why I do it, I, or I started doing it, is because an acting teacher told us to do it because they were like, hey, you're going to read this back in the future, and you can pull from some of this stuff. But also think about how a lot of us just write all the time, either on Twitter, Facebook, whatever. We text people, and a lot of it's just fluff, you know. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And I wonder, especially as, as you're getting into writing, uh, if that would be uh, beneficial uh, to you. 
I think it would. I mean, even like Facebook, when it sends you like what you said sometimes a year ago, yeah. three years ago, and you look at that and you say, wow, you, I had no memory mm-hmm. of saying that. And it takes me back. And if I journaled, I'd actually have a lot to draw on. And I can mm-hmm. look at my younger self and write about that time of my life. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's talk about the business because you and I, we, uh, we had lunch and we were talking about the business of acting where – you essentially are your own sort of little business, and you have to sort of. Uh, I know that you're not equity, but there are times where um, you work for other uh, groups, or let's say you take an acting assignment, uh, like you, what you're doing now for San Francisco Shakes. Have you had a hard time? Um, I guess do people appreciate you as an actor, or do they try to take advantage of you by I don't know trying to get you to do things for free or lowball you? I don't know if people are taking advantage of me or lowballing or if it's just there isn't that much money in theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, you know, and so, yes, you get asked to do free thing, things for free all the time in the theater. Yeah. Um, and the beautiful thing about theater in San Francisco is that if you're not going to, if you're not going to um, be worried about money, you can actually get a lot of great acting work, mm-hmm. um, you know. Um, there came a point in my life you know, maybe a year or two years ago where I decided I wouldn't work for below a certain amount of money, um, you know, and, and I, because I don't have a day job, uh, you know, in a way that some actors do. All my income comes from theater and education. I'm an independent contractor, you know, right. everything. I, I, you know, I have to file my taxes by myself. Like, there's a lot of things that, you know, I have my own small business, so to speak. So I decided I wouldn't do it, and I'd also grown enough as an actor that I had a certain sense of, like, this is what I can offer to you. Right. And if you're going to – and so I did – yes, I have negotiated some contracts at this point, which I'm, you know, really excited about. Um but now I start to direct as well. And I've been taking on free directing work because I'm gaining experience. Right, and right. I'm learning. And I'm in the school of learning how to direct. So right. I will do free work mm-hmm. because I'm gaining. And I'm like, thank you so much for asking me to direct this. I get to learn. So I will do free work. Um, lowballing happens all the time. And so I think that you, I think that I, um, when I'm lowballed, I'm learning how to speak up. And women especially, and yeah. women of color are lowballed too a lot. Yeah. So I'm also learning how to, negotiate yeah. up and ask and if, if they say no they say no but at least I ask yeah um, yeah there's I mean we're paid so little uh, usually in theater especially non-equity there isn't that much money right and just as you were mentioning about women are, and, um, and minorities there was an incident that happened this past week Hawaii Five-0 there are two actors I'm sure you heard about this uh, no so there are two Asian actors who are regulars on the television series Hawaii Five-0 um I lift up my um, laptop and I can, um, I know the actors' names. Hold on for a second. Da, 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 da. Uh, but but so, to make a long story short, they have to be paid the exact same as their white counterparts. And they were told no. Actually, so one, their story is they were, they were paid less, so they decided to quit the show. Mm-hmm. A, I think it's ABC. Uh, they are basically saying, oh, no, we gave them a very good um, – you know, a salary, or we, we gave them a very good offer, and they just said no. So, what can we do? Um, so, so I, I find that interesting. How uh, minorities, <laughs> even in 2017, even in you know a prestigious show like that, we have things like um, pay discrimination. And oh, of course, women go through that. Oh, also. yeah. I think everybody is lowballed, and I think right now, the if you want to earn a fair wage, you have to be part of the union equity. Mm-hmm. But there are very few. 
<coughs> equity theaters in San Francisco, and they don't have parts for women of color. Yeah. So if I turn equity as a woman, especially as a woman of color, I won't get cast. Um, so women of color and women avoid being part of the union in San Francisco, and so we don't get fair wages. Yeah, yeah. It's a cash rate, too. And, and there's been a lot of talk about how there's disparity of women who are, are paid uh, their oh, yeah. fair share, um, both in theater and also in, in real life. Yeah. I mean, I'm in the small leagues right now, so there's not enough, there's not money for anybody yeah. of any race or any gender right now. Uh, but I think this becomes an issue when you get into, like, big money and big theaters and big film and TV work. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I hear people say all the time, oh, we need minority actors, but every time there's a good minority actor, they go off to L.A. or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. It's hard to find good minority talent here. But you're experiencing the opposite, like you're a minority actor, but yet it's, it's sometimes hard for you to find uh, work because they want someone else. Well, in the equity, I think there's no, um, I haven't really broken into the, the big theaters that mm-hmm. have equity contracts. Yeah. So those, they don't really have parts for me. But the non-equity world, um, I'm finding really open and welcoming. And mm-hmm. there's been a lot of what we call non-traditional casting, yeah. where people like me are being cast, or like I'm being cast in male parts, or, you know, I'm being cast for a part that might traditionally go to, you know, a person with an American accent. and. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been a lot of conscious, non-traditional casting right now that I've benefited from. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so I've benefited from a lot of that. And um, and I think the equity world in San Francisco is changing as well. San Francisco is a very progressive uh, casting practice at this moment. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've done pretty well considering, you know, um, my possible disadvantages. Yeah, and Norman and I, we've talked about equity or non-equity. There are a lot yeah. of folks who are like, oh, I don't want to do equity because I want to find work and I'm blackballed if I am right. equity and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's something to think about. I mean, I'm gaining, I think I just started working with SF Shakes and they offer EMC points, so mm-hmm. I've started to gather them, accumulate them, and yeah. I mean, what's the harm? So Absolutely, and you can choose. I can choose. Too. Right. Yeah, and then I'll see, you know, whether there's work for me or not. Yeah, and speaking of that, what do you think about, because you've been here in the Bay Area for a while now. Five years. Five years. Yeah. Have you, um, Norman and I, we talked about how gentrification has really changed the landscape of theater, where there are a lot of houses, there are a lot of theater companies, there are a lot of houses that have closed down because they can't afford the rent. And it's really, really tough getting people inside the, uh, the, the theater to just watch a show. I mean, uh, there are television shows that are in competition with YouTube. And, um, and whatever's happening online, um, especially the younger generation, do you find that there are younger people, and you work with younger people, do they have an appetite for theater? Or is it, or is it, is it tough to get them involved in theater? Um, it's a hard question to answer because I'm a teaching artist, so I go into schools you know, to teach theater, and kids always enjoy doing theater. Most kids enjoy it a lot. Um, and then I work with schools to bring kids into the theater, and then they just field trips, and so they they go in and you know and, and watch it. And I think they always love it. I think the problem is that young people and kids and even adults don't know the power of theater. They've never been to the theater, mm-hmm. so they think theater is boring. They've been to the movies, yeah. but they haven't been to theater. I don't think I've ever met anybody who's 
gone to see a show that's great and come out going, oh, no, I didn't enjoy that. Right. I think they love it. Mm-hmm. If they understand it, they love it, you right. know. Um, Shakespeare's not everybody's, you know, cup of tea, but, um, you know, people are, are, I find all the time that they come to Free Shakes in the Park and they're moved by it. It's just a universal story. And mm-hmm. I think we, I think we're just having problems bringing young people and adults into the theater, and of theater tickets are expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, um, people don't have theater classes anymore, theater teachers anymore in the school. It's just people don't know about mm-hmm. theater, whereas movies just, they just go to the movies. And that's really sad. I mean, I, Norman and I have talked about how theater sort of saved us. You know, we went to a high school and we learned theater. Um, he even did theater when he was in the Army. But I know for myself, um, I grew up in you know, not a pleasant uh, area in Washington, D.C., and it was during the crack cocaine epidemic of the 80s. And Duke Ellington School of the Arts really, really saved me. Um, how did the theater bug uh, bite you? Um, the theater bug, well, I, I think I started watching movies and Bollywood movies, and I would, I would find myself, like, repeating lines or, like, making up dialogue mm-hmm. in my head in conversation with a Bollywood actor. So mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to do it. And then I think when I was nine or something, I wanted to be in my first play, and it was amazing, and I was playing, like, an evil minister or something, and, and I had a tooth missing, I think, uh-huh. at that time. And, and I got some they, I got some award for acting, and I, it was my first time on stage. And then when I went to college, they had a theater club, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it just, I'd always wanted to do it. I didn't have a lot of opportunities until college, mm-hmm. but I just, I just knew I wanted to do it. Um, and then in college, it, the bug hit me and I knew I wanted to go to professional theater. Just knew it. So it doesn't surprise you that you're still now doing theater. I mean, did you ever think, yeah. well, I'll do it and then I'll just. I never, I, well, I always wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. I didn't give myself permission to do it the way I am now. I'm unabashedly yeah. a theater artist, but I, you know. I, I went into education, then I thought I'd do theater education, and, you know, um, I did everything to to make sure I had a stable life and mm-hmm. wasn't just an artist, and right. now the last two years especially, I've just owned just being a theater artist. And I'm, I'm also a teacher and educator, but I'm independently also an artist. I've given myself permission to just be an artist, mm-hmm. and I can do that. Yeah, no, it's, it's fantastic, and um, it's... You know, we, we both have talked about how theater really enriches um, um, people's lives. Um, I think that it, not that being a liberal is a bad thing or whatever, but really you, you get to, I think people become more diversified. They, their minds are open uh, when they're exposed to theater, whether they are involved in it or whether they're just watching it. So I think it's it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, I think, I think the difference between theater and cinema is that you have no way of affecting, when you're sitting in the audience, you have no way of affecting the actors mm-hmm. in the film. That's done. It's done once. And and also, like, they might have taken five takes, but right. you only got to see one take. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a director's medium, so it's what the director thinks is the best. Whereas in theater, you have 20 shows and 20 different takes, and mm-hmm. the director has their vision, but in the end... The, the actor every night does something different, and if the audience is different, mm-hmm. you're changed by it, and mm-hmm. that's very powerful for the actors and the audience to see that, you know, you have power, like Augusto Wall, mm-hmm. famous theater practitioner, said there's no spectators and only spectators, <laughs> you know, and right. everybody's an actor, so you're an actor, like yeah. we had, you know, we had this show um, in the park in Pleasanton, and in the middle of the show, apparently there was a neighbor who was upset about the show being loud, we've got all the, you know, mm-hmm. 
for all the permissions that but he he called out a slur and just you know told us to shut shut down and that impacted all the actors on the stage and what happened after that and uh-huh. we're still saying the same line sure sure but it completely changed the energy yeah. and the other night you have like this warm embracing you know clapping audience and they laugh and then you want to play up the comedy a little <laughs> bit more you know yeah. um you're, there's yeah. a call and response there is a call and response and that's so powerful mm-hmm. right um so that i mean you know, I, I always want to be doing theater for that reason. Yeah. Now you're also getting into directing. What What's inspiring you to get into directing? Um, two years ago, I um, worked on a show at the New Conservatory Theater with a director named Stephen Rupsch, and he was traveling from Wisconsin. He was visiting from Wisconsin. And he asked me if, uh, he was like, are you interested in direction? And I was like, I said, not now. And he said, I think you'd make a great director. And, and you know, he said that, and I you know, I didn't think too much about it, but over the last few years, I think I started to think like a director. I started to like see, notice the choices that Mm -hmm. directors are making. I started to say, oh, I would do this differently as Mm -hmm. a director. And and that's when I knew, I think I had something to say in terms of crafting. And then I also was cast in certain shows where I didn't enjoy my experience as an actor and I wanted to have more control over my Mm -hmm. situation. And I realized it's, you know, the director crafts the vision. They're choreographing the play. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be that (laughs) person, not just a person who's living out somebody else's vision. And it's, you know, I'm not trained as a director and I'm learning, but that's where it came from. (laughs) No, that's fantastic. And it's interesting you're talking about how it's amazing how you as an actor, you... You audition for a role, you say, yes, I want to do the role, especially if you're not a young actor. You're yeah. like, you're hungry and you want to work. And sometimes you don't realize what you're stepping into and the power that a director has. Yeah. Luckily, I've never been mistreated by a director, but I've had some pretty crappy directors. And also, I've been a stage manager for a long time. I've had some directors who really didn't know how to talk to actors, didn't really know how to share his or her vision to the actors, and just made the experience really, really horrible. So. Yeah. And you got to live with that show for, you know, the two and a half months of uh, rehearsals and also the however the long the run of the show is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've probably never had a really bad experience either. Mm-hmm. I've had mediocre experiences. But um, you realize, because d- the world of direction still isn't as diverse as it is for actors mm-hmm. and even playwrights. Um, so directors are still mostly white and yeah. I would say mostly male. Yeah. Um, and so I realized that I have something to say, you know, as a director and mm-hmm. I have something to say as like coming from my background and, and that, that vision I could only do if I had, if I was directing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the ultimate, ultimate power I think you have is when you're telling a story and you're writing. So that's why I feel like I also need to write. So mm-hmm. to be a theater artist, I think you, I need to write, direct and act. Right. So ultimately, I'd like to do all three. Now, as it's good to have you because we haven't we haven't had a lot of female um, actors uh, on the show, and I want to try to improve on that. So, female actors, please, you know, come on because <laughs> I've never had to worry about, let's say, being um, um, uh, mistreated or or even exploited mm-hmm. as an actor. But we've talked about it in school. I've had a director say, "Listen." Don't accept a role if it compromises who you are as a person. Have you had to go through that? I'm pretty open with what I'll do. You know, if I believe in the part, mm-hmm. then I'll do it. Like, I was asked to, I think, I was asked by a theater to play 
a maid and I had already played a maid in a previous show. Mm-hmm. And at that time I was like, no, I won't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I just won't do it again. Right. You know? Yeah. And I, that was a decision I made. And, mm-hmm. um, but, um, I think as, if you ask me to speak specifically as a woman, I've been thinking a lot about that. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about, um, the, the rehearsal room experience itself and a lot of things that you have to do. Um, and, you know, an experience I had um, in a rehearsal room where there was an intimate scene, mm-hmm. for example, that, you know, I was part of with another actor. And the director made us work for like two or three hours. Mm. Um, and, you know, you're supposed to kiss and be intimate. And it just went on and on and on. And she never once checked in with me. And said, "How are you doing?" Yeah. And um, you know, and and is this, you know, what is this feeling like? And and I think it, a lot of the responsibility falls on me as well because I'm also I feel like learning just to advocate for myself. Yeah. Um, but I never spoke up stage, and said the stage manager should have stepped up too, because yeah, all I, the I breaks and all that stuff, and also just checking in. I don't know if they were in the room at that moment, okay. but um, and it was so we might have gotten those breaks, but it was the break, the mental emotional sure, break. Sure. And I think that that scene was never quite um, blocked. Yeah. And then what ended up happening is every night I was never sure mm-hmm. <laughs> how uh, this male actor was going to treat me on stage. It had to do with the way my dress lifted up. It had mm-hmm. to do with there was a lot of things that compromised me as a female actor mm-hmm. in a dress. Yeah. And um, you know, and I I just realized there was nobody looking out for my safety as a woman. Yeah. And whether I felt safe. Yeah. Uh, you know. Um, in an intimate scene, and and I thought a lot about that, and I've actually been wanting to facilitate a session on, not on, on sexual. Uh, I won't go as far as say harassment. What are the boundaries? Because we, we have yeah. loose boundaries in theater. But how do you protect people, not just women? I mean, I was experiencing as a woman. Yeah. I had another rehearsal room experience where this older white male actor, like you know, called me a name or made a sexual joke that had to do with a riff on my name and Hmm. the director never stopped them, you know, and everybody just laughed. And so there are things like that that I've been thinking a lot about of how to make rehearsal rooms safer for women, but anybody, like, you know, Mm -hmm. um, any minority or any human being. um, That's a a very, very, (laughs) that's, it's an incredible point because, there needs to be, and that's one of the reasons why you have unions. I mean, I'm sure that that uh, equity has rules about that. But for us non-equity, I'm, I'm also non-equity, you really do have to have, I mean, of course you have to speak up, but really it's a two-way street. I mean, I think about things like that. You know, um, I've, I've had to do a role as a butler um, uh, for a show, and I did it once. And But, of course, I, there were other things going on in the role, so I didn't just feel like I was the help. Uh, but I've rejected roles as well, where I had to, you know, be a subservient or whatever. But as far as, as you really, you hear stories about directors who, let's say they cast a female actress and they just exploit that the actress and the actress doesn't know how to speak up. And also, a director can put an actor into a dangerous situation, let's say dancing on a table or something and the table falls. Or... There was a horrible incident a couple of years ago where there was a uh, young theater company and they had suspended an actor on a wire. The wire fell and the actor injured himself. They had to go to the hospital. That's terrible. And, um, you know, regional theater, you're like, well, anything goes and, you know, we'll just in the spirit of theater. But really, you have to take care of the actor or the actor has to take care of him or herself. 
Yeah, I think they do. And I think a lot of times younger actors, um, but female actors, um, actors of color won't speak up because then, uh, you know, you think, oh, I am, um, people are not going to want want to work with me mm-hmm. anymore because they're going to see me as high maintenance. I'm, you know, I, I'm, I was working with a young um, female actor and, you know, and she, her shoes are tight and she's in a combat scene and she mm-hmm. was saying, Radhika, am I going to be seen as a diva if I complain about my shoes? And I'm like, this is a safety issue. You're running up and down with shoes that are not your size. You're not a diva. You're asking for your rights, but it's just, mm-hmm. you know, and she's like, no, but I don't want them to think that I'm high maintenance and they'd never work, you know, they never want to work with me. And these are just voices that are in your head because we don't get cast very often. Mm-hmm. So when you do, you know, you know, speaking up for your rights, sometimes you don't do that and you censor yourself, you know? Yeah. And and I'm just, I've I've come to like a, just a place in my life where I, you know, I want to speak up and I'm not afraid anymore. And, and that's the, I want to also be a role model for younger actors to mm-hmm. speak up and younger female actors to speak up. And so that our, our theater space are safer because, the, you know, where I feel threatened, I don't do my best work. I've definitely noticed that. I will get inhibited and I won't make strong choices. Of course. And I, I'm also thinking about another situation that happened. I think we were doing Candide and there was an accident that happened. There was an older actress and uh, there was a set change that was going on and I guess the um, one thing led to another but the actress fell off of the set and uh, she she had a bloody uh, face and um, luckily she was okay and she still managed to do the show but there was a sense of, oh my god that was so horrible but we need to keep going on. And, you know, I, I wonder about things like that. Same thing happened to me. I was like, I think a week, no, a day before opening, mm-hmm. the director changed the scene in a major way where I had to be running down the steps and I fell and I fell really hard. I still have a tiny cyst from there oh, that is like, you know, it's going down, but it's like, it's almost a year now. Yeah. And, and it was because it was a last minute note that we never got to play out and I fell really hard and it wasn't the safest thing to do and but it was I remember falling and mm-hmm. going okay I'm going to pause for a second and say okay let's move on yeah you know and and that should not have happened right. you know yeah. and um and I I mean there were two people I mean no people didn't I pretended like I didn't pretend but I just said let's move on yeah and then you know people should have checked in with me but that's yeah, we need to do a better job with safety and, and rushing the process. <laughs> right, exactly. And, 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 you know, and actors uh, just need to speak up. You know, if you feel we threatened do. and um, you, you feel things just aren't right, you have every right to say, hey, something's not right here. And, uh, I think we need to address it right now. But let's not, you know, th- it's usually theater is, is a wonderful thing. And, oh, yeah. and usually it's, it's very, very positive. And these are just, I won't say they're rare, but... Um, it, it doesn't usually happen. Usually I find that directors take very much tender care in saying, hey, is everything okay? Or explaining how the process is going or make sure that the, the, the line of communications are open. Absolutely. I yeah. agree. It's such a warm and loving community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we've hit the half hour mark. It's 4.38. How are you doing as far as time? Should we I'm doing up? fine. No. Okay. I'm doing fine. I think if you leave at 5, I'll be fine. Okay, perfect, perfect, because um, you have a uh, performance, and we yeah. want everyone to go to the SF Shakes. It's a fantastic thing, and it's free, right? It's absolutely free. Excellent. Yeah. Um, what, do you have any acting things going on after this? Yeah, I'm really fortunate. I'm booked till the, you know, till the spring of next year. 
So I am, um, I, I will be in Strange Ladies, which is a world premiere um, show at Central Works in Berkeley. Right on Central Works with yeah. Gary Graves and Jan. I can never pronounce Jeff her last Fair? name. Yes, Jeff I Fair. might be mispronouncing too. Sorry, Jan, if you yeah. listen to this. Um, it's a wonderful new um, show um, that is written about the women who are part of the suffragist movement. Oh, that's awesome. And it's, and it's um, based on research and history, but just like Hamilton, yeah. it, it's cast diversely so that there are people in the show like me that were not part of the suffragist movement, but are cast mm-hmm. to tell a new story, you know, um, and it's amazing. And, it's, and um, it rings so true. And some of the heartbreakingly, some of the issues that rang true then still ring true now and mm-hmm. in an America where we didn't elect a woman president, right, right. Um, you know, and so that's beautiful. And then that goes to November 20th. And then I will hopefully, fingers crossed, based on immigration, be going to Pakistan Mm -hmm. to do a show um, that is called The Forgotten Empress, about this empress, Noor Jahan, Mm -hmm. who was, um, you know, um, supposed to be like the first powerful uh, first lady of, you know, the, of of India, or Uh what used to be India, Pakistan now. Um, and so I'm gonna, it's a dance drama, and we're traveling to Pakistan for that. I'm the narrator. Awesome. And then when I come back, I'm going to be doing Timon of Athens, uh-huh. which is this obscure Shakespeare play that is amazing yeah. at Cutting Ball. Okay. And I'm really, really excited about that. Cutting Ball, that's at um, um, uh, Taylor. Exit at Taylor. Taylor. Yeah. 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 It's a wonderful show. Mm-hmm. And I'm auditioning for a couple of things um, after that. But, um, yeah. Fantastic. Well, you, you are, you're definitely on the move. You, you're just grabbing roles here and there. Thank Fantastic. you. And I also want to mention some of my direction work that I've been directing at Piano Fight. So yeah. I'm directing Short Lived, uh-huh. um, a, a play for Short Lived Festival. I'm directing for Pint Sized with Piano Fight. Uh-huh. And that's, again, a lot of these. Uh, Short Lived, you have to pay a ticket, but P- a Pint Size is free. Mm-hmm. And you're at, at a bar and you can get a, grab a drink and food and watch really fun, poignant theater. Awesome. Yeah. That is fantastic. So, should we uh, put a button on it? Um, sure. Last words. <laughs> no. Oh website. yes. So, I have a website. I probably need to update it a bit. But if you want to learn more about me and my work, you can go to um, www.radhika r a d h i k a rao r a o dot o r g. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll put a link on it. If Please. you're listening to yeah. the show, you just click on that link and you'll be right there. Yes, and you can learn more about me. Feel free to get in touch with me. Um, you know, if you want to have coffee or, like, you know, talk about theater more mm-hmm. or, um, you know, yeah. But if you want to book her, you're going to have to book her maybe next year because it sounds like you're <laughs> be booked up. I'm booked till I think, May, <laughs> April or May. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but not for not for direction because those are different dates and you know I'm booked weekends. Yeah. Uh, but thank you. It's a great opportunity. Yeah. No. Gl- glad to have you. And um, I think that is it. And uh, so anyone, as I always say, um, thank you for listening. And your uh, you can listen to this on the Apple Podcast app. That's that purple app that you probably never use. You just click onto it, search for the A, and boom, there we are. Also, we're on the SoundCloud app, so you go to soundcloud.com and you can find us there. And that is it. The next person we have on is um, Dale Albright, and he is uh, the he runs uh, TBA Theater Bay Area. So that's going to be a fantastic interview, and Norman and I will talk to him. 
that's what's up on next on the A. That's it. Thanks so much, Monica. Thank you, Reg. Thank you very much. Okay, and we are.